This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but at Thinking Out Loud, we believe the gospel speaks to every issue, past, present, and future. And we want this to be your place to process truth. So what does it mean to live in the light of the gospel's eternal truth rather than in the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, co-founders of Thinking Out Loud, a ministry that wants to move apologetics out of the ivory tower and into your living room. Our hope at Thinking Out Loud is to see ordinary Christians advance the credibility of Christ. One way to do that is to respond to the day's news with genuine peace and resilience. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. Well, Nathan, I think the Jonathan Haidt article is an important one, the one that we were focusing on, and the, the precise title of it is going to evade me. Is it why the last 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid? Something yep. along those lines? Yeah. Yeah. Good article. Obviously, we took it seriously, but I think missing some stuff as well. And I think it might be beneficial to bring that article in a little bit here also. Some comparing because we and contrast. Don't always, yeah, some comparing and contrasting. Here's the, the biggest point I try to make when I talk about Jonathan Haidt is that he is a very, he, first of all, he's an honest intellectual. He's cordial and very respectful too, which is why Christians often talk to him. So he'll, he'll be making an appearance on with Andy Crouch on the Trinity oh, Forum, by the way, pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. So I think that promises to be well worth your time, by the way. But I also try to, so because he appears in places like the Trinity Forum and because he's friends with people like Tim Keller, I think people often forget the fact that he is also a thoroughgoing naturalist. And so I think I saw some people responding to the article that we were talking about, basically saying, well, this leaves a little bit to be desired. He's only giving policy kind of recommendations, and this is a spiritual problem. And I kind of smiled and I thought, okay, agreed, but he doesn't think it's a spiritual problem. So <laughs> right, it makes sense yeah. that he's not going to, yeah, he's not going to give you any spiritual <laughs> solutions. He recognizes the value of spirituality and religion more in terms of a kind of social contract, but he doesn't see them as, or, you know, or something that promotes, you know, sort of cooperation across different people groups and stuff like that. But he doesn't, he doesn't look at it as true. So it's important to bear that in mind. So with that said, there was another article by a thinker both Nathan and I admire, Alan Jacobs. Not in the Atlantic. Not, right. Not in the Atlantic. This, But it does have – there's some similar – I mean, this is hmm. the New Atlantis. <laughs> ah, some alliteration. Some alliteration. The New Atlantis, by the way, journal is a, a publication I think worth your time too. A lot of really good thought there. But this is Alan Jacobs, who now teaches at Baylor University. He's a literature professor. Basically, he is talking about a lot of the, the same stuff that Jonathan Haidt is, you know, the basically the growing civil unrest, many people doing basically outrageous things. You know, you can see 
he, he is especially talks about January 6th, where he had the storming of the Capitol. But what he what Alan Jacobs focuses on is some of the subsequent responses from people who were involved, some people, some of whom were indicted and actually have gone to jail. And their responses are interesting because they've said things like, I don't know what we're doing. Something happened by us. And that's a phrase that he latches onto, something happened by us. That's actually the title of the article. And of course, we'll drop the article in the show notes here. But something happened by us. Now, I got to be honest here. This is where Alan Jacobs really shines, because when I see quotes like that, my knee-jerk response would be, oh, isn't that typical? Another, here's a guy evading responsibility once again, trying to trying to pass the buck and, you know, refuse to, to basically accept that he engaged in criminal behavior. But Jacobs actually takes it seriously and says, no, 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 hold on. What, what if he's serious? What if he did in some, these people, or in this case, this one individual, what if they, what if they did feel compelled in some way to behave in a manner that is completely out of keeping with their character in normal terms? And then he zooms out a little bit and he says, well, you know, don't, don't think about all of these extreme examples. What about friends, family members who in the last 10 years have seemed to have become different people? And by that, you know, he means more aggressive, more partisan, more ideological, particularly in social media spaces. What's going on? Well, and I'll I'll put it somewhat infelicitously. What about the spiritual factor here? What about demons? Oh, great! Here big- we go. It was <laughs> mushrooms last week, and now here we go with demons. Demons. Let me give you before we. I'm going to kick it over to Nathan here in a second. Let me give you a quote from from the article just to kind of set the tone here. But he says, here's what he says about social media. We're going to pick on social media quite a lot here. (laughs) But so he writes, and I quote, social media are the best agents yet developed for the cosmic rulers. Of course, cosmic rulers is, is scriptural language for demonic forces. Social media sleep not, nor do they grow weary. The algorithms grind away like the mill that, according to the old story, sits at the bottom of the ocean and forever grinds out salt. The machine learning machines keep learning, keep sifting, keep dividing and linking. So I think that gives us a good point of purchase here. And we'll get more specific. He brings in a whole bunch of what seem to be disparate authors, everybody from Dostoevsky to a postmodern writer like Thomas Pynchon or Pynchon, depending on how, how much you want to roll your eyes at me. But shows actually some really interesting links in their understanding of the demonic. But I'm curious how this article hit you, Nathan, when you read it. I've I've basically forced you to read it. (laughs) Well, so actually, there's some history to it here. I was thinking you were talking about the writers. He uh, references Charles Mackey. So this is 1841, Scottish journalist. So So there's pretty deep history here. This isn't necessarily recent. And if we're going to talk about demons, we wouldn't say that as a modern phenomenon either. But anyway, the title of Charles Mackey's 1841 book is Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. How about that? Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Yeah. And so in some ways, I mean, this fits right with, you know, we often say there's nothing new under the sun. Um, And so just give a shout out to the repetition in history here. That being said, I think it is interesting that Heights article gained um, 
so much traction so fast because there was such a longing for an explanation. So I think that's the real value of it. Maybe not even, it, it gave a plausible reason for the reality that we see around us in purely, as you said, naturalistic terms, but um, in a way, and I think it really kind of struck the nerve of what he called the exhausted majority. So the way that the majority of the people see the world and what they're experiencing in their real lives compared to what they see online, there was something there. So, so that's the value that it had. However, as you said, um, well, actually, I was a couple things. So there's there's the height article, and I was like, mm, yes. So the fragmentation is real. I see some of these structural the things that he said would lead to structural stupidity happening. But it seems like there's something deeper here that it isn't just the structures around us, but it has to do with the humans who are involved in the structures yep. that are a big part of that. Um, you listen to somebody like Elon Musk and dreaming about colonizing Mars and then answering questions about what morality will be like and how would you form laws on another planet. And he's like, well, it'll just be up to the inhabitants of Mars to figure that out. Um, so on a lot of these um, surface level descriptions of structures or in like future sci-fi-esque concepts of where we have a lot of people interacting with each other, it doesn't seem like in the most optimistic versions of those we're accurately taking into account A, a full anthropology of what it means to be human, but then also B, a full cosmology of how humans are embedded as agents in broader realms and plans and ideas. And you can't really seriously read the New Testament without that being a core part of, you know, Paul talking about, you know, the wars that we fight or with the powers and principalities, um, not with, you know, the weapons of the world. So there's, this is a, I mean, when Jesus cast out demons and that sort of thing in the New Testament, nobody stops to make an apology for the existence of the demonic. It's just seen as a natural feature of the world in which everybody lives. And you don't have to go back to first century Palestine to figure that out. I mean, a lot of the world still operates in that. And for probably, let me be careful here. I'm just trying to do some rough calculations. Probably 50% of the world still lives with the concept that the spiritual is more real than the physical. If we're just looking at kind of religious beliefs and worldview, understanding of how the world really works, um, we might scoff and say, well, you know, demonology isn't a realistic way to look at problems anymore. Um, on the other hand, that's a pretty narrow slice of a Western modernist way of looking at that. So I, I, I feel that tension in myself. Let me be honest here of like, mm, do we want to go down this? Because it seems like mm -hmm. we're kind of fanning the flames of some weirdness here. On the other hand, mm -hmm. if we're going to take scripture seriously, you can't get around it. So the big question is, well, how do we appropriately discuss it? So that's where I'm hoping we go with this in some ways. Does that, do you, I mean, I'm, is it just me or do you feel that tension as well of like, where do you, where does this get creepy and unhelpful? Or where is it just like, actually, we need to recalibrate the way that the world really is. I have a lot of fun stories in this regard because I went to a Bible college and a Bible college is its own unique, weird spiritual ecosystem. And most Bible colleges have a little faction of students who are in the, let's just, I want to avoid denominational terms because I don't want to alienate any of our listeners. So let's just say in the uber spiritual category. And there was a certain group who would march around our campus declaring war on all of the myriad unseen demons who were just 
infesting our campus and they would pause at a particular field between buildings that apparently was a site, a really hot site of manifestations and would scream and perform praise songs. And Now, this didn't happen all the time, but this was this was the occasional occurrence. So I think on the one hand, we have in mind people who tend to gain a little bit of a morbid fixation on the spiritual and particularly on the demonic. Most of us have, if, if you're in Christian circles, most of us have known somebody like that. Maybe that's been you occasionally. Let's face it, it's interesting. But yes, there is such a thing as, yeah, if if you're seeing a you know a hobgoblin behind every stone, if you're 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 just always fixated on that, that's probably not a healthy perspective. But on the other hand, and I think many many more of us tend in this direction, it's the tendency to act as though the spiritual is not a factor at all, and to try to be more just quote practical. And well, here's there's an interesting yeah. I was just going to say, and 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 thus that's why the screw tape letters are so helpful, right? Because right. Lewis in the, yes. in the screw tape letters is helping kind of push back against that false understanding of the way that the world really is, and saying that trivializing the spiritual yeah. is would be one of the best weapons of a spiritual world that didn't want you to take it serious. So anyway, I interrupt and stop now. Absolutely. Well, there's a there's a novel actually called The Case Against Satan. And it was, it was an, it's a it's a novel. It's a story about an exorcism, actually a precursor to the exorcist. So kind of interesting. But there's a really fascinating exchange between the two priests in the novel. So one of the priests is a younger priest, and he's he's distinctly modern in his sensibilities, and he doesn't believe in the at the beginning of this book that the girl that they are dealing with is actually possessed, and his bishop who's working with him is really pushing him on his modern skepticism. And one of the things that he says is, and there's that famous adage that, you know, Satan cannot, the devil cannot endure to be mocked. He pushes back against that kind of, that statement and says, actually, I think he loves to be mocked because it just plays right into his hand because it helps people to, it's just part of people not believing him in, in, in the devil. It's part of modern unbelief. And it's part of how why people trivialize true evil and don't take it seriously as a factor. I think there's some wisdom there. I remember in Harold Sinkbile's book, Care of Souls, he has a section in there, and that's a book written for pastors. And he talks about when a church is facing serious problems, right? When, you know, churches are are really when there's there's mistrust, there's malicious gossip, there's moral failure, whatever it is. He says it's interesting. He, you said usually there'll be tons of focus on kind of corporate strategies and a lot of business models will be used. And he's, he says, I'm not averse to any of these, but usually the last item on the list is people taking this seriously as a spiritual battle, as spiritual warfare. So, and he says that should be, yeah, right at the top. I mean, we need to, but, and, and again, he's, he's basically saying we often don't believe it's true. Okay, if you're listening to this and you think that Nathan and Cameron are about to lose their minds, let me ask you this question. Do you ever pray the Lord's Prayer? And if you do, when you get to the line and deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one, what do you think you're asking for when you pray that? I mean, did Jesus just throw that in there as a kind of a cute little, ah, this sounds nice, or is that a real thing that's a real prayer? Uh, 
I'm guessing most of you listening to this have prayed that multiple times. And so I, I guess part of the question I'm asking, and then I'll push this back to Cameron, is so if we're praying that, and it's possible that, and, and so we're praying it to be delivered from it because it means that we could be influenced by it, what would it look like then if we were influenced by it in our lives and in our modern world? Is that a helpful way to kind of get back around to where I think so. Jacobs is going here? Yes. Well, let me bring in Height too as I compare here. So one of the words in Height's article, and it's in the title that just has not sat well with me at all, is stupid. Stupidity. Because it feels over it feels too simplistic to me. And it it feels dismissive. And that's why I think in the end, Jacob's article is way shorter. It's it's much more suggestive. He doesn't really flesh out fully what he's saying. It's more like he wants to get your wheels turning. But mm-hmm. of the two articles, I think his is actually the more instructive because he is saying, no, it's not just that we have structural stupidity. You have a lot of people acting in ways that are out of keeping with their normal character. And they're doing it a lot of times. This is a kind of mass phenomenon. That's weird. And... When you hear from a lot of these folks, in their own words, they say something all along the lines of, I felt a kind of compulsion. That's unnerving language. Now, you, do, you don't want to go too far in one direction, but one of, the, one of the things that he does in his article, and he does link some really interesting writers, I mean, everybody, everybody from Michel Foucault to Tom Pinchon to W.H. Auden, is he shows the way the modern world and modernization, really sort of the, the post-industrial world, the way that has made this stuff, it's it's amplified it in a way that it hasn't been before. That might be the, here's the word that we we never want to use, right? Unprecedented. But that might be something that's genuinely unprecedented right now in our moment, is that you have instruments of amplification that are quite radical. Human nature isn't changing, but the ability to disseminate poisonous messages, disunity, anger, and rage, that has ramped up. So we're talking about a difference of degree, not not kind. So, And also, when we're talking about human beings, now I'm saying this as a Presbyterian, you know, my camp theologically tends to really err on the depravity side and very much emphasize the wretchedness of man. But I think there is, there's a really needed balance here. And ancient thinkers used to stress this because they would press into scriptural language, particularly from the Psalms, particularly Psalm 8. And they would say, look, if you want to think honestly about a human being and you want to get a good human anthropology, and Blaise Pascal does this a lot in some of the best, I think, Ponce's, you've got to think about a creature somewhere between an animal and an angel. And the problem is we tend to we just we tend to gravitate toward extremes. So there are some of us who are a little bit more pessimistic when it comes to human nature and lean heavily on the animal side, right? Wretched animal, you know, can't in the end save themselves and th- there's a strong measure of truth there. But then you have the other element to Want who are more optimistic, more hopeful about human beings, and want to emphasize the angel aspect. Well, you know, we're rational, we're brilliant, we have this amazing ability to transcend our circumstances. And so you have phrases like the better angels of our nature. 
but both are true. It's not one or the other. Both are true of human beings. And we need to remember that we are influenceable to a degree that is really quite remarkable and quite alarming. I've often said, and I'd love to hear Nathan's perspective here too, but I've, I've often said, look, you can't, we as human beings can't change another human heart. God alone can, can do that. We can't reach a human heart fully, but we absolutely can influence a human heart, and human hearts can be influenced for better or for worse. And what Jacobs is suggesting is that behind some of these really massive, systemic, huge, monolithic modern systems, maybe it's not pure mechanism grinding away. Maybe it's not just systemic stupidity or structural stupidity. Maybe there are actually some wicked powers at work there turning those wheels and influencing human hearts. Yeah, a bunch of things going on there. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, you can't in, you can't change a heart. You can influence. What's the old quote of, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mm-hmm. And then somebody comes back and says, yeah, but you can salt his oats. Um, you know, if you put enough salt in the horse's oats, he'll want to drink. <laughs> um, so there, yeah. there is there is some influence in that. I'm wondering too on the yeah. So some of what we're saying, I think here is that where height sees some structural things, we would say, no, social media just gives a megaphone to the madness of the crowds. And you see human nature amplified with a global reach now in a way that you didn't in the past. And so I think there is some way in which we want to see some instrumentality to the social and digital platforms of just making it easier for us to broadcast human nature. Also, I was thinking about it while you're talking about the spiritual terms thing. You remember the whole guy with the, cause he starts off on the Capitol thing and I don't want to make it all about that because I know oh, that's, yeah. um, but the guy is wearing Buffalo horns. Remember with the mm-hmm. face paint, like, you know, he's called the QAnon shaman. Right. How do you not have a spiritual reference yeah. when you're identifying as a shaman? Mm-hmm. So in one way, it's like wake up world a little bit. Like what's mm-hmm. the self-identification that's going on here. Now, the thing we don't want to get into and this is where I think it's challenging is the whole idea of the devil made me do it. And we kind of flippantly use our kind of roll our eyes at people who would flippantly use that. And I think there is a distinction there between possession and obsession or oppression as um, Jacobs lays out for us. And and those are all true and good and real. The, The bigger question here is that there's almost a little bit of the, if you're looking at this from a naturalistic perspective, there's a little bit of an idolatry of humanity to think that we could be so wonderful that we could create complexity and chaos at a certain level. So if we if we put Height versus Jacobs here, Height is saying, look, here are, structure, here are structures that we use to create chaos. And Jacobs would be saying, no, chaos precedes us there's a cosmic reality mm-hmm. yeah. and tension and battle that's happening yeah. and we participate in it. We don't generate it. So th- that's the different thing. Is it a thing that's already happening and then we participate in it more or less to different degrees or is it something that we're actually generating? Now, those aren't mutually exclusive, but if you don't have both of those, really these two articles don't make sense of that. And I think, well, I mean, obviously Jacobs is the biblical model here of this cosmic tension between good and evil and principalities and darkness and Satan and deliver us from the evil one and casting out demons. And this idea that there is cosmic struggle 
that we choose a side in. It's not chaos that humanity entirely generates. So um, I think just to lay that out there, Mm. I'm not really answering any of your questions, but to add that framework in here of saying, is chaos something that humans make? Partially, yes. Or is chaos something that pre-exists us and we participate in? And the answer to that is mostly yes as well. If you'll indulge me, Nathan, let me read for you a certain passage that I've been thinking about this a lot lately in probably the last year. And this is a story. This is a demon story. This is Matthew 8, 28 through 34. Let me just read these verses. And I want to reflect on something with you. But so starting in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 8, we read this. And when Jesus came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men confronted him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many pigs feeding at a distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Nathan, I think the most strange verse in this whole section, and it's filled with strangeness, and we can't possibly, we'll only scratch the surface here, but the most odd verse in this whole thing is verse 34. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to stay and heal their city further. (laughs) No. Not so. Yeah, not so. They pleaded with him to leave. That is fascinating. Because... Let me just, I'm just going to say one sentence and I'm going to kick it over to Nathan. We can go back and forth on this a little bit, but here's my thesis. Jesus, in doing that, disrupted the status quo. And the, and we generally like the status quo. The hog market, at yeah, least. Even if it's evil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hog market, at least. Well, the hog market market is part of that status quo. Okay, That's the thing. Okay. So here's where, here's what I think is going on. I mean, this is, there's a lot, this is, you know, but here's the unsettling thing is that when we recognize the, the overlap between the spiritual and the physical world. So we're, we think the spiritual world is neat as long as it stays in the spiritual world. And we think the physical world is interesting as long as it stays in the physical world. But once we get outside of kind of a a Greek mindset of the soul and the body and the spirit and the physical, and we look at this integrated Mm -hmm. concept of humanity that the Bible gives us, we see that these aren't different things. And so Physical men torturing their bodies and everybody else and screaming and being chained up and all the other stuff that the other accounts gives in this, that unsettles us because we don't know what to do with it. Like, I mean, we can probably medicate that now into, you know, knock somebody out and put Mm -hmm. them in slow them down, but we don't know what to do with that. And then when you start having like demons leave this person and go jump in pigs that jump into another thing and kill themselves, we recognize quickly that all of our, like... We don't have the tools to deal with that. Like you have the wrong screwdriver and the wrong hammer to fix whatever is going on there. It's part of what makes Jesus so fascinating is he like seemingly knew how to handle all of this. But I think it's that as that hybrid Passover of, of recognizing the, the, um, 
this hybrid, I don't want to say hybrid because it's just, it's what a human is that we're susceptible to engaging and interacting like that. I think that's the unsettling thing when mm-hmm. we recognize we can't neatly categorize things into separate areas and then deal with them on our own terms. We're not the ones who are in control here. And so essentially they just recognized on two levels that they were not in control and it was easier to get rid of the truth than to cede control. Yeah, it blows up our categories, but also it shows you that they they were okay with these two demon-possessed guys hanging around the tombs, probably assaulting people occasionally, because that was just part of the order of their place. And when Jesus challenged that order, that arrangement, they wanted him gone. And I think similarly, I don't think it's too much of a stretch when you see stuff that is system systemically enshrined or structurally enshrined, you know, forms of wickedness, whether it's corporate corruption, the sex trafficking industry, racism, you know, these kinds of instances, generally speaking, the response when we try to address it, when we try to address it with reform, when we try to take measures against it, is stop it. That's not the way things are done around here. And that's, I think this gives us a little insight into the way, into what some of what Jacobs is talking about when he talks about basically structural manifestations of evil as well. Because this goes along with what you were saying, Nathan. On the one hand, you got these two, I've never known how to pronounce this, demoniacs they sometimes demoniacs. yeah these two demoniacs so it unsettles us when there there are physical manifestations of spiritual realities yeah so just as there are physical manifestations in an individual of spiritual realities there are structural manifestations of spiritual powers as well so um, well let me interrupt you real quick because isn't that the power of heights article though is that he falls back on Babel? yeah and uses a biblical image of a structure. He does. That is evil. I mean, so anyway, it's just, I mean, we, we keep talking about height, Peterson. You know, there are multiple guys out there who are speaking from like a naturalistic moral psychology platform, but all find that they have to revert back to using biblical and religious imagery in order to make sense of what they're trying to say from a naturalistic mm-hmm. perspective. Just throwing that in there as we go by. But anyhow. Yeah, my theory on that really is just that Well, first of all, I mean, obviously the Bible has the ring of truth, but the Bible is the one with the best anthropology. So when you you look at these actual descriptions of human behavior and human aspirations and ambitions, these are living, breathing people, and it just makes the most sense of our experience. And yeah, and so they they find themselves continually the the Jonathan Heights and many many others unwittingly or wittingly corroborating <laughs> scripture, and I do think that's interesting. I just, but I do think that the conclusion of Heights' article shows some of the impoverishment of his view. I think he's absolutely brilliant, but I just don't think he's got in the end that many resources to to really fully address. Because I, I think most people who came to the end of that article, face it, did you now, dear dear listeners, did you read all the way to the end? He does have some proposed, he does have some solutions in there. It is a constructive article. It's not pure critique. Many people, at least most of the people I've talked to, Nathan, do feel that the ending's a little weak and that the recommendations he gives are kind of 
pretty weak measures, but I don't know what else he could have said. Well, here's from where, another from his from where he sits. What if what if we like it the way that it is? So what if we like this structure, right? And just just saying, oh, we, now we know how it works. This gives us something else to be jaded about toward the elites. But by and large, this is great so for us. It's that's why I brought up Matthew. Eight. It's, yep. it's a yeah, it's a structure we like. Yes. So maybe the reason his solutions are weak is because we don't really want to fix it. I agree, and I, and, I, and so my that's my overall thesis. With that's why I brought in Matthew eight twenty eight through thirty four. I think most people like it. I think we. I think generally speaking, many. Not most people. That's a bold statement. I think many people like the current setup, unless unless the, those people are in in a position of being a, a real victim, and they're suffering greatly. Which is why, by the way, those who see there is a measure of measure of truth in we're getting into, into some deep waters here. Those who are marginalized and who do suffer. Now remember, let's bring in the fact that height is concentrating on the, the the biggest provocateurs are the elites. Right? Well, wealthy elites. But that's why those who suffer and are marginalized often do have a keen level of insight that comes at great cost to them because they don't have the luxury of deluding themselves that everything is just fine the way it is. And so those of us who are in positions of, of more comfort and stability might not see that. And and those it's so it's it's usually those who are who have positions of comfort and stability who like the status quo. Those who own the pigs, so to speak. But then when some radical good social reformer person comes in and casts the demons into the pigs and the pigs hurl themselves into the sea, now you got a problem because it's hitting our wallets. So this is I mean, I'm speaking you know, in kind of hazy terms, but that's just to that's just to give to give us once once again insight into the fact that those who like things the way they are are usually people who can afford to like things the way they are. Okay, so no, actually, what we're doing here though is we're we're challenging whether or not you're we're correctly understanding the way things actually are. So, who's really in control here? Is it a conflict between liberal and conservative elites? Is that the biggest problem in our universe? And Jacobs was like, interesting, but no, that is mm-hmm. not the large, there is a conflict in our universe, but it isn't mm-hmm. based there. It right. goes far deeper than that. So I think one of the things I appreciated about Jacobs is he doesn't, because because as long as you leave it as structural and elites, nobody thinks that that is speaking to them. Mm-hmm. So it's all somewhere else. Jacobs turns it around a little bit and says, okay, think about how you feel when, and and we're talking about feelings here. Let's be clear, because that's part of being human. What goes through your mind or what do you feel when you read certain things on social media? If you get angry, if you get anxious, where is that coming from? Mm -hmm. Is that not an indicator that you're being influenced by something nefarious that's bigger than just your views of the economy? Um, So I don't know, Cameron, what do you think of that? Well, yes. And just to go along with that, Nathan, and if your reply is something along the lines of, well, no, no, I mean, it's just algorithm manipulates and exploits negative human emotions. Okay, that's a factor. But if that's all it is, now you're starting to sound a little bit more like a naturalist than you are like a person who has a full, full view of reality. Or you're taking a totally, or you're taking a totally mechanistic view of humanity. 
to yes. say, okay, a human built an algorithm that can, can, can manipulate a human and I'm a human. Mm-hmm. And so I'm basically integrated then into the digital world. And that's a better description of myself as a human is my digital interaction rather than my spiritual interaction. Yeah. Is it just machines influencing people or could it be demonic influence behind the machines it's hard to say that sentence without feeling self-conscious, but again, that's a symptom of our age. Well, it's but it's because it's been misused mm-hmm. so much that we almost shy away from looking at the way that yeah. Jesus talked about it. And so I think that's, I, I'm sensing that struggle right now, even as we're saying it, because there are things out there that we would say is plain craziness. Um, however, what I think here's the, the, the beauty of Jacob's article, and I think what both of us are trying to do here too, is we're just trying to push... For the idea, for those of you listening and thinking along with us, that the world and humanity is far more complicated yes. than makes us comfortable to believe. And it's that it's the uncomfortability of the unknown that makes us actively seek out reductionistic mm-hmm. descriptions of the way that the world really works. So is the unknown scary or is it kind of exciting? And so I think this is where kind of talk to any missionary from another country that has a deeply animistic or spiritual concept of the world. And part of the fun of becoming a Christian is recognizing the protection that comes in the spiritual realm from submitting yourself to Christ and following under his protection. Mm -hmm. The deliver us from the evil one delivers from evil is not a flippant prayer. It's a reality, but the celebration that happens in the life of the person who recognizes that they're no longer under the power of darkness, but free to live in the light of Christ that is a deeply liberating and freeing teaching. And so for the Christian to look at that, yes, we can recognize there's brokenness and evil. And like we're talking about real evil here, um, not just the absence of light. That's the tricky thing. Like in, in scripture, darkness is not the absence of light. It's a real force in and of itself. But to know that I'm not to live in fear of that and I don't need to live in fear of that then opens up complexity into new vistas of beauty and ingenuity and fun. I'm using the word fun there flippantly, but it's just saying like the complexity is a good thing. It's it's neat to sit on the front edge of that and look at the breadth of what it means to be human and the way in which we interact with each other. So I think if you're a Christian who understands this well, there are things that you'll see come through your social media feed where you can like call it for what it is. Like, huh, that is interesting and totally not true and something I'm definitely not worked up about and let it ride. Where does this stuff come from? Well, it's probably even bigger than the algorithm, and I'm not going to participate in it. Um, so I think, but I'm also not going to be afraid of it. So again, this we we keep coming back to that phrase of being not we can be saddened, but not surprised, and having a correct anthropology, having a correct demonology, all embedded within a proper cosmology, is the thing that helps us see the world as it really is, as Jesus Christ revealed it to us. And that gives us a phenomenal stability in order to have a degree of oughtness of the way that the world should be and can be and the way in which our relationship with the Lord and with each other is ordered. I don't know what you want to do with this. I hope it has uh, (laughs) stimulated some fun thinking on your part. We've enjoyed kicking it around. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, 
you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.